The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. On a Sabbath day, Jesus had gone for a meal to the house of one of the leading Pharisees, and they watched him closely. He then told the guests a parable because he noticed how they picked the places of honor. He said this, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the seat in the place of honor. A more distinguished person than you might have been invited, and the person who invited you both may come and say, give up your place for this man. And then, to your embarrassment, you would have to go and take the lowest place. No, when you are a guest, make your way to the lowest place and sit there, so that when your host comes, he may say, my friend, move up higher. In that way, everyone with you at the table will see you honored. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the man who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host, When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not ask your friends, brothers, relations, or rich neighbors, for fear they repay your courtesy by inviting you in return. No, when you have a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, that they cannot pay back by means that you are fortunate, because repayment will be made to you when the virtuous rise again. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I was tempted, in a good way, there's good temptations, I was tempted to, to think about heaven today, the mystery of eternity with God in his beatitude, you know, the, the blessedness and happiness of just being with him, in him. And I thought, do we think of heaven often? Maybe we do, but, um, but maybe we don't. Certain things have been reminding me of heaven lately, and frankly, they've been challenging my ideas of heaven. All those cartoon images start to sort of dissolve, and, and something more beautiful and more real is, is latent there behind them. In fact, you know, what could be more real between this life and the life that God is preparing us for? Surely heaven must be more real than this life, which is a staggering thought in itself. Anyway, it's challenged my ideas of heaven and for that matter hell as well, because you can't have one without the other. They sort of, they run off in their different directions. Do we believe in heaven and hell? Certainly they are asserted in scripture and there's countless parables and depictions of it. This is one of them. Jesus or God in Christ building a home for the poor, as it said those who we readily identify as the least. And they're mentioned in our documents as well. I was looking at the catechism and there were too many to even count, but well over a thousand paragraphs have heaven mentioned in there. So certainly this is central and replete throughout our tradition. So what is heaven for us? A few weeks ago, I was listening to one of um, Matt Frad's uh, podcast interviews, one of his episodes, and he was speaking with an apologist named Joe Heschmeyer. And Heshmeyer was talking about hell and heaven, mainly heaven, actually. But the question was, if you could get rid of anything in the Catholic faith, what would it be? Um, C.S. Lewis famously said, if I could get rid of anything, I'd get rid of hell, because it's bad. <laughs> we don't want that there. And Heshmeyer said the same thing. He said, well, if I could get rid of something out of the, the deposit of faith, I'd get rid of that. 
but but you can't get rid of it. It's so it's so um, embedded in the sense of scripture and tradition. Heshmeyer then goes on to describe heaven as a place that really needs great preparation. You think think of it as somewhere with absolute freedom. Just think for a second of um, the the harmony and the peace in the world and how we safeguard it to stay that way. Even take the road, for example. Why is the road safe if it ever is? It's because there's rules and laws that, that, that govern people driving in a, in a sensible, safe manner for, for society's sake. We might be varying degrees of competency in driving, but, but please God, if we follow the rules, there will be safety and we'll all get to our destination. Well, think of heaven then as a place where we've so inculcated a harmonious way of living with God that we no longer need rules to bind us down and to keep us on track. It's utter, utter freedom. Utter freedom is a scary thing. When I have free time, I don't necessarily do the best stuff with it. (laughs) Uh, So what would happen if I had infinite free time? What would I do? What would I busy myself with? Or would I just become a sloth? I'll just lay down and do nothing. I got all the time in the universe. A place of utter freedom. What's, what's, where's my heart directed when, when, it, when it has utter free reign? You think back to the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the fact that uh, we believe in the fullness of time, God will resurrect not just our souls, but our bodies. Whatever exactly that means, it's hard to imagine. But I was saying to the kids at St. John's a few weeks ago, and I said it uh, at Mass the other day as well, when I'm in heaven, in the, God willing, <laughs> in the fullness of time, and my great-great-great-great-grandma's there, I'm going to give her a bodily hug, and I'll feel her body warmth, and I'll smell the ginger biscuits she's baked. You know what I mean? It'll be sort of... All my senses will be at work in the fullness of time, even though um, it's, it's a different reality. It's a, it's a raised reality. You think, too, of the queenship of Mary. In heaven... There's only one class of person. You know, there's not the royalty and then the middle class and then the paupers and the beggars. No, we are all servants of each other, which is, which is indicative of, of um, a lowliness in the best possible sense. But then we are all treated as firstborn heirs. That means whoever the Prince of Heaven is, and that's Jesus, we're all put on par with him. Imagine that. Imagine that. Royalty. In the best possible sense, don't think of stupid earthly kingdoms that are prone to corruption, but, but dignity. Dignity. Lastly, you think of Jerusalem, which is this constant depiction of heaven. Jerusalem is a kingdom of peace. That's literally what it translates to. Salem is peace. Um, it's a kingdom where, where there is no war, there is no distress, there is no disharmony, there is no weeping or any of that stuff. But there's this serenity in its fullest, most uh, flourishing fashion. And this is what we're made for. We're on pilgrimage to a heavenly abode. As Jesus says in John's Gospel, I've gone to the Father and I've prepared a place for you. If I didn't, I wouldn't have told you that. You know, I've prepared a place for you. A place for you to come and rest with me, to be in my house that I've built for the poor. You will be at peace there. You will be rested there. Um, You'll also be active there. There's this strange irony that in heaven our activity and our rest is sort of 
this perpetual, um, I don't know, cycle of life. Because God is at rest, but God is also perpetually at work. You know, um, The theological word we use, we say perichoresis, which is like the three persons of the Trinity are just dancing in this, this perfect dance of love. Um, and life just keeps issuing out of it because it's infinite. Yeah, we're brought into that, where we rest and rise, where we wake and sleep, uh, where we're filled and where we're emptied of ourselves for the sake of the other. This is some of what God has in mind for us as we slowly prepare ourselves. So all I want to say is that the day-to-day life that we enjoy now, all of it is, is preparation. And I don't want that to make us anxious because it's not like we're going to have to sit a quiz at the end of our life and you know, we hope we get a pass mark. It's not that. When God says he's judged, that's not the fashion in which he judges. But really he's, I guess, trying to condition us to perfectly dispose our freedom to the good, to the beautiful, to the true, which is him, so that we freely flow in that direction. As some of our hymns say, we come to own his sway. You know, you think of God sort of swaying and all of God's beloved come to own that rhythm uh, of life with him. And it's beautiful. The reason I've said all of that is, is to encourage us and to give us a sense of peace as well, but to encourage us to try as best as we can without anxiety, but to try as best as we can to live the heavenly reality right now. And, and I guess to be on the watch of those things that we think, well, in heaven, I don't think it would be like that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, in heaven, no one's going to cut me off at the traffic light. But in heaven, I wouldn't flip him the bird either. Because <laughs> that kind of thing just doesn't even belong in heaven. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work there. It, um, it doesn't belong there. So, so how can I render myself to be a kind of glimpse of heaven right now? I know that's a high call. I know it's a very, very high call. And, and we can't do it ourselves, and we were never meant to. Our life is a communion with God. God's presence is heaven. So heaven is not, you know, nine hours away on the GPS. Look at that image that's given to us in um, Hebrews. Paul says, I'm not talking about old covenants and old laws and old, all that stuff. That pointed to where we are. We gather now with all the saints and all the angels beyond our perception. We can't see it, of course. But we come here now to the, to the holy mountain, to the new Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the altar of God, where God is, I don't know, distributed into us. We come to the wedding feast. We come to be filled with his presence. If we can just desire, I guess. Desire is such a big part of the spiritual life. Sometimes we're afraid of our desires, and it comes back to that freedom thing. But, but, but don't be afraid of your desires. Your, your, your desires are placed within you by God himself so that you can pursue him. As, as some theologians have said, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart that we'll continually keep looking to fill, and nothing else will fill it. Desire that for which you were made in this moment. And insofar as you can, desire to implant it in every 
space that you inhibit, that you inhabit rather, out in the workplace, in your family, in the streets, on the internet, uh, everywhere. There's a prayer that we have in our breviary that says, um, may our homes be the pledge of a world redeemed. That doesn't mean that our homes sort of magically turn into heaven on earth because we all know that we carry wounds with us, you know? No, it means that somehow resurrection is possible in those places. The resurrected Jesus had his wounds on him. That's how they recognized him. Have you ever heard that story about St. Teresa of Avila and she's at prayer and um, supposedly Jesus appears to her and she says, get away from me. I know who you are. You're the deceiver. And he said, how did you know? She said, you have no wounds. My Lord has wounds because his love suffered for us. Who are you? You're some mirage. Be gone. And he disappeared. So we bring our wounds to be healed. We bring our hungers to be filled. We bring our restlessness to find rest. All of that. Bring your desires up to their peak now. Because God comes to fulfill you. And to fit you, if you like, for the heaven that we're all moving towards. Slowly. But in a sense, we've already arrived and we can stay there. We can stay there right now.